see you in God's house today. This is a beautiful day to be alive and be a Christian. Amen? Good. We're going to continue today. The, um, in fact, this is the last message in the series, Love Is. Uh, you've seen the bulletin every week. It looks real 70s retro. It's really sort of fun. Love Is. And we've defined it in several different ways. So today, we're dealing with the book of, the letter of, 3 John, if you'd like to turn there. It's only 14 verses long, and so I'm going to read it to you. 3 John, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health. And that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you're faithful in what you're doing to the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers to you. They've to they have told the church about your love. Send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was a for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans, we therefore ought to show hospitality to such people that we may work together in the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I'll call attention to what he's doing, spread malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who wants to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, don't imitate what's evil, but do what is good. Anyone who does what's good is from God. Anyone who does what's evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, even by the truth itself. We speak well of him, and you know our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I want to, don't want to do so with pen and ink. So I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace be to you, my friends. My friends here send greetings. Greet friends there by name. It was just a nice little letter. I want to ask you a question. <clears throat> have, you, um, have you noticed that most people's, at least in the public eye, it seems that most people's Christianity is sort of invisible? I, I want to do this. I, I just did this little quick search thing on the Internet the other day. I'm just going to, I have found uh, about 20-some-odd actors Hollywood actors and actresses and I want to tell you their religious faith now when I read their names out some of you some of them are older than others and some of you won't recognize them the, the older ones uh, some of you will the truth is you can't find any religious connection with most of the present actors and actresses so uh, let me just let me just tell you this and see if this has become evident anything you've ever seen from these people Humphrey Bogart, he was a non-active Episcopalian. Cary Grant, a non-active Anglican. Mel Gibson, a loud but non-practicing Catholic. Mar Marlon Brando, Christian science, that's a cult. Fred Astaire, a non-practicing Episcopalian. Henry Fonda, a non-practicing Christian science. Clark Gable, non-practicing Catholic. James Cagney, non-practicing Catholic. Spencer Tracy, non-practicing Catholic. Charlie Chaplin, agnostic. John Wayne, Presbyterian and sometimes Catholic. <laughs> Lawrence Olivier, an inactive Anglican. 
Gene Kelly, a non-practicing Catholic, Michael Jackson, Jehovah's Witness, and he listed his religion as superstitious. Brad Pitt, grew up Baptist, presently atheist. Elvis, assembly of God, and miserable. Like, he was miserable. (laughs) I'm not trying to comment on right now, but. Catherine Hepburn a nominal Episcopalian who claimed to be an atheist. Betty Davis, Episcopalian family, non-practicing. Audrey Hepburn, Christian Science. Ingrid Berman, Bergman, inactive Lutheran. Greta Garbo, inactive Lutheran. Marilyn Monroe, Christian Science. Elizabeth Taylor, Christian Science and Jew- Judaism. Judy Garland, non-practicing Episcopalian. Marlene Dietrich, superstitious. Joan Crawford, raised Catholic, became Christian Science. Ava Gardner, Raised Southern Baptist, uh, but later an atheist. You know, from what I I can tell, most of the people in the public's eye, on the screen in different places like that, they, if they claim any religious affiliation, it's invisible, totally invisible. Now, I did find that Jimmy Stewart, who happens to be my favorite, And I was happy to know he and his family were devoted to their Presbyterian church. And I read that Denzel Washington, his father is a Pentecostal preacher, and he is usually active in the church of God in Christ. So I'm happy to know that. But truth is, most of the people who are very public have very non-public, actually invisible faith. This letter that John wrote was about telling people to let their faith, let their love be visible. So if I'm going to title this message, it's love is visible. People can see it. People can see your faith. This third letter uh, that John wrote has a lot to say to us, but it's really just, let me tell you what it is. It's really a personal reference letter. This, This letter is about three people. It's, it's what John thinks of three people. And he really writes it like, hey, I'd like to tell you what I think of these, these guys. You have connection with them, and this is what we think about them and why. Is that any of his business? Yeah, and you'll see why in just a minute. <clears throat> he, he, like, gives a, an assessment of these people's lives. And here's the first guy that he assesses. And it's the guy that actually got the letter. His name was Gaius. Now, in the Bible, there are two other guys named Gaius. Both of them had connections with Paul. One of them traveled with Paul for a while, and one of them uh, was just mentioned in the Scripture. Now, we don't know if it's the same guy or not. It doesn't really matter. Gaius is one of those, in the Roman world, was a super popular name. Gaius. It was a, I don't know, it's like in the South, like Billy Bob or something would be really, really popular. And Gaius was just the name, the name, a lot of people's names. It's obvious that the guy had some position of responsibility in a church. It doesn't look like, though, he was the top dog. It looks like he was the spiritual leader of the church, but he wasn't the official leader. It looks like there was a little problem going on there. And Gaius got the letter because Gaius was the one connected with John. I think the only one John had connected with in a while. Um, So he began to tell Gaius, he began to appreciate Gaius, in a lot of different ways. Now, he wasn't telling Gaius, 
hey, dude, let me give you my assessment of you. But he sort of was in the way he thanked him. Here's what he said about it. This is what we find out about this guy. And this is a guy whose faith, whose love, whose, whose Christianity was visible. All right? Here it is. This is what he said. He said, you abound in spiritual health. And he said, I actually want your body to catch up with your spiritual man. I hope your body does as well as your spirit's doing. Now, a lot of times we quote that when we pray for healing. Nothing wrong with that. We say, you know, God wants us to prosper in our physical body just like in our spiritual body. And that is a true statement. And I, that's, that's awesome. That's a scripture we claim as we pray for people. But here's where it really comes from. He's saying, man, your spiritual man is so healthy. Man, I hope your body catches up with that. Is that possible? Yeah, that, that's possible. Sometimes, actually, sometimes this body gets worn out and the spirit man's ready to keep going. It's true. You know what? We sort of have the opposite of that often in our, in our society. Our society, especially in America right now, is very, very, i got to keep healthy. Now, it doesn't mean we eat that way. It means that we're looking for some supplements or pills or something to keep ourselves healthy. The reason health care is such a priority in America is because we feel like that it is the most important thing is our health. In the scripture here, Paul was going, you have set the priority right, buddy. Your spiritual health is your priority. We sort of have it a little backwards here. How many times have you heard somebody go, Man, I, I, I just really hope things go well. As long as you got your health, you've got everything. No, you don't. No, you don't. I believe in health. I believe we ought to take care of ourselves. I believe we ought to eat right and all that stuff. I believe all that. But there's not a pill to solve everything. And our nation feels like there is. My father was a pharmacist. And um, in, his, in his retirement time, he used to go and help other places he would help them you know in their pharmacy when they needed help and uh i asked him one time i said dad what is the most what do you fill prescriptions for more than any what prescription do you fill more than any and you know what he said antidepressants by far now, I don't know if that surprises you, and I'm not passing judgment on antidepressants. I'm just telling you, somebody's spirit is not connecting with their health, <laughs> with, with their body. Somebody is saying, I want my body to bring me emotional and spiritual health. And they're looking for something that affects the body to somehow make it happen in the spirit. I'm telling you, Gaius had it right. Gaius prioritized that he was going to abound in spiritual health. And I have a feeling, friends, that if we abounded in spiritual health, it would somehow affect this body. I really believe that. We know this about this guy. This guy's visible, he was visibly, visibly abounding in spiritual life. Second thing about him was that he practiced what he preached. The Bible says in there that says, we know that you that you live in the truth. The word truth there, aletheia, it means, it means, um, it means being authentic. It means real. It's, it means 
not having a hidden thing going on. It means you're, you're true through and through. It's the truth. The truth is that's the kind of person you are. He practiced what he preaches. I mentioned my father a moment ago. I'm going to tell you that's one thing that I am so uh, awestruck about my father. He passed away this time last year. And um, I still get sometimes a phone call or whatever. I see somebody that knew my dad, and they will tell me another story (coughs) about him. And I'm sure I'll keep sharing those with you. They would tell me another story about him. I knew my dad was a great man, a good man, a godly man, a man who was generous and kind to other people. And guess what? I'm only receiving more confirmation of that as the stories go on. I don't have the guy saying, hey, I wrote the story called The Real Cohen Sam. He was a philanderer and he was a... No, that's, what, that, that's a Hollywood thing. That's the politics thing. Every politician, there's going to be a book out later and you'll find out what crud they were really were involved in. But a person who the Bible says is true, they are what they claim and they don't try to claim something they're not. That's the kind of guy Gaius was. He was, tr- he was really a good guy. He was truly a good guy. Uh, he really was a good guy. The love of God really was in him. It wasn't something he claimed. In fact, he, it didn't appear that he goes around claiming anything. It just said that's who you are. It's obvious by the way you live. It's obvious. I want to read, read you these things. Uh, in the, first of all, in the book of Titus, uh, we read that we're supposed to adorn our life. Now, adorn means ornament. That means something people can see. Adorn your life so that they may glorify our Savior. Now, he wanted our actions to speak louder than our words. That's why he said that. Adorn your life, not just your words. Listen to these quotes. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one walk with me than merely show the way. How about this one? The eye's a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. How about this one? I soon can learn to do if you'll let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongues too fast may run. And the sermon you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I might understand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding of how you act and how you live. You see, Christianity is visible with Gaius. He said, Gaius, you are spiritually abounding, and we can see it, and you're real, and you're authentic. John's assessment was that he walks in the truth. There was no conflict between what he professed and what he practiced. You know, I I really, I get amazed at, let me just say, I get amazed at politics about how people can live lives in private and even exposed where they lie, they cheat on their spouses, And yet everybody goes, well, that is totally separate from the way they're going to be in politics. That blows my mind. I'm going, are you serious? Are you serious? Oh, we need to get the personal and the public separate. You can't separate people like that. Liars lie. (laughs) 
Liars lie wherever they are. The Word of God understands that. All right, here's the third thing about Ogaeus. He used his time and his resources for serving God. Now, this is what happened. When John wrote this letter, there were a lot of people out there preaching the gospel, evangelists going out. Every town didn't have a church. I mean, it was literally a mission field out there, the whole Roman Empire. And so there were Christians who a, a local church would send personally and say, here, we're going to give you money, and you go on this trip, and God's people will help you. You stop by, God's people will help. Well, at whatever church this was, that God's people would be stopping by those churches and saying, hey, we have a letter from Paul saying, saying that we're authentic and, and we want you to help us. And um, Gaius, uh, John said, Gaius said, he always took those people in. And, and he shared his house with them. And he shared his provisions with them. And he was hospitable to them. And then, then later on, you'll see in a minute, he said, not everybody in your church did that. It looks like including the pastor. He said, I appreciate you sharing everything you have. And he said, these that bear the weight of ministering the gospel, we should bear the same weight with them by being hospitable. Just by offering ourselves to them. Well, that's the way Gaius was. He had no problem doing that. You know, I, was, I just want to tell you how thrilled I was this week. Uh, we, we had over 100 directors, master's commission directors from all over the nation that came to Birmingham. We had a conference here. On, on, they arrived on Wednesday night and on Thursday and Friday and left yesterday morning. We had an incredible conference where God met us here. Uh, Friday night, we were still in here ministering at 2 o'clock in the morning. The, the revival fires of God burning in people's hearts, people being ministered to, lifted up, encouraged. And um, it, was, it was fantastic. But I want to tell you something. This body of believers, this church, affected them powerfully. Uh, a few of them were able to stay in some homes, of our, 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 just a few homes here, uh, we, that was always a moving target. We never knew how many homes we were going to need. But I, every one of those said, wow, I, this home that I stayed in, I just, they, just, they prayed over me, lifted me. I've never been treated like that by a stranger in my life. Uh, the kindness, volunteers, many of you volunteered to come and help. We fed them well. <laughs> you know, the old stomach, southern food, it worked. But they said, we've never seen a friendlier, more hospitable place for us to minister. We've been in churches that did this. Yes, you can rent it, and at 9 o'clock, we're closing the doors. And, and, and God is my witness. At one of those conferences, we had about uh, uh, 1,500 people there, and at 9 o'clock, a bell rang, and everybody said, get out, get out, get out, or we're going to have to pay. And this was a church. This was a church. A church. And we were literally taking people to the altar and going, ah, get out, so we don't have to pay. It was totally embarrassing. We said we weren't going to do that anymore. That's not God's way. Hospitality is God's way. Now, uh, I'm going to move to the next guy that he, he talks about. And while he was talking about hospitality, he said, now there's this other guy at your church, Diotrephes. He's a little different from that. And it appears that Diotrephes had quite a bit of influence in the church. If he wasn't the pastor, he was a leader. Diotrephes, according to the scripture, you saw me read it, he turns people away and says, no. If somebody comes and ministers, he says, no, you're not ministering. I'm the only one going to minister. I'm the one ministering. This is my pulpit. 
This is my church. I don't want anybody, I don't want anybody stealing my stuff. I don't want anybody using any. No, uh-uh, that's mine. That's mine. I heard the other day about a pastor who was suing people for uh, using his sermons and ministering them in other places. He was actually suing people for copyright violations. Not because he published a book. I'm talking suing people for taking notes on his sermons. He said he didn't give them permission. His people, his own people. This was this Diotrephes dude. The Bible says that he was not hospitable. He was turning people away. He would refuse to take these people in. Here's what it said about him. It said he was proud. He was self-willed. It says he always wanted to be first. He always wanted to be top dog. Always wanted to be first. Um, There was a guy who was the personal valet to Winston Churchill. Um, Now, this is a story written in 1949. Now, Winston Churchill was a very famous, of course, as you know, British prime minister. And he was a great leader in a million different ways. But his personal valet was not totally impressed. And this is what his valet said. He said that uh, Winston Churchill had a dog named Rufus. And Rufus the dog was his favorite person above his wife. That uh, whenever he would go on a trip, he ordered that Rufus be the first one to meet him when he got off the plane or he got off the train that they have somebody have Rufus on a leash and when he walked out to unleash Rufus so that Rufus would come and greet him now that meant more to him than his wife greeting him and so um the the valet said that this was just the way things were but said for some reason Rufus preferred the valet over Winston Churchill The valet was always with Winston Churchill, so like a bodyguard, and said the dog sometimes would run and jump on the valet first. And according to to the story, the Winston Churchill said, I would prefer that you not get off the train until I give you permission to his personal valet. Because he was standing in the way of Rufus's attention. Now, I know that's sort of a silly story, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to slam Winston Churchill, but I want to tell you this. That's how some people are in their, just in the way they minister or love or care about other people. It's always me first. I want to tell you that I was blessed in coming to a church in 1978 who a pastor named Ron Cox didn't feel that way. He gave me every opportunity I could possibly have as a young 22-year-old, 21-year-old. He gave me every possibility of being everything I could be. There were times when he and uh, Glenda were going through some of the toughest times physically that he told me, you're going to do half of the preaching here. He, he never held those kind of things away. From, I'll be honest with you, I, I wasn't real good. I really wasn't. I wasn't real good at it. And he trusted me. And I want to tell you something. To me, that speaks as much as any sermon he ever preached. I promise you it does. I I appreciate that. This this summer, I don't know if you've noticed this, Pastor Jay has shared the pulpit with uh, the staff as much as he's filled it himself. Not because he wasn't here, not because he's off somewhere. It's because this. The Word of God belongs to the church, not to the man. And he knew that. John knew that, but Diotrephes didn't realize that.
His example was a bad one. His example was a very bad one. Um, here's the other thing about Odiotrophes. He was undisci undisciplined and he was spiteful, especially in the words of his mouth because the Bible says that he spoke bad things about John, about the apostle John. He spoke bad things about him. He spoke evil of him. You know, we can often judge people by the words of their mouth because the Bible says what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. Isaiah, when he was, uh, saw the Lord high and lifted up, you remember what Isaiah said? The first thing he said was, oh dear. Well, in King James he said, woe is me, I am undone. But in regular, ver in regular version it says, whoa, I'm in deep trouble because I've got a filthy mouth. He said, from my words, my tongue, something's wrong. I can't speak the right thing. And you know what happened when he confessed that? This angel flew and he got some, some hot coals off the altar of God and swabbed his mouth out with him and said, now you've been made clean. You see, when we allow God to apply what God is to our mouth, it changes us. It changes us. What God does is he doesn't just swab your mouth out, he swabs your heart out. Diotrephes was evidenced in that he was not close to God by the words he used about other people. He was spiteful. He was always downing folks. He was always negative. And I know that about anybody. Love is not spiteful. Love is not negative. And that's exactly what Gaius was the opposite of Diotrephes. And that's why he said, when I come there, I'm going to speak to this guy about this. This is very unlike the people of God. One preacher wrote one time about his church, tongues have always been a problem in our church, and not speaking in tongues. It's gossip. C.S. Lewis, as you know, wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and it was about, it was letters from one demon to another trying to tell him what to do. And this is what the demon said. If we can get truly delicious sins the fine flower of unholiness, not just to grow in the neighborhood, but on the very steps of the altar, we will be victorious. You see, oftentimes people do not allow their Christianity, their life, their faith, the love of God they claim is in their heart to be evident with their mouth. I, I'm very leery when I hear somebody that cannot control their tongue and they, you know, they're, they're fine Christians that are doing all this, and yet when they get angry, bad things come pouring out of their mouth. I don't, I don't want to trust them in, in mentoring people that I'm in charge of mentoring. It bothers me, bothers me greatly. This was Diotrephes, very unbridled and undisciplined, but he wanted to be on top, and he wanted to have spiritual authority, which brings me to the next thing. He didn't accept spiritual authority. He didn't accept any spiritual authority. I think sometimes spiritual leaders often are the most resistant to spiritual authority because they've never been tested. Sometimes spiritual leaders often, Pastor Jay, we talked about this, sometimes a really big famous, you know, famous on TV spiritual leader, they've never had their authority tested because they've always been in charge and everybody's always said yes. But whenever they come up against someone that says, no, you need to do this, they can't handle it. So they go split off and start something new. You know why? Because they're not mature. And the love of God has never matured inside of him. Spiritual authority, it's an important thing. Diotrephes didn't have it. 
and he didn't follow it. Now, there's a third guy that's mentioned. This guy's name was Demetrius. And there's only one thing said about Demetrius. Demetrius was probably the guy that was delivering this letter. And Demetrius, the Bible says, Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone. He just says, by the way, I want to give a little, a little check mark to Demetrius here. Demetrius, his faith is visible. And everybody knows it. Have you ever thought about, now this is going to sound real, real weird, but have you ever thought about your funeral? <laughs> I know some people plan their funeral and they go, I want this song sung and I want, these are the pallbearers. Uh, my dad, bless his heart, my dad a year ago, he had a list in the safe deposit box of the people he wanted to be pallbearers and only one was alive. <laughs> and, and he couldn't walk. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But anyway, sometimes people plan their funeral, plan it to the T. Plan it to the T. But you cannot plan what your life will say when you die unless you serve Jesus authentically. If you serve Jesus authentically, it doesn't matter what song they sing or who the pallbearers are, your funeral has been preached by the life you live. If you don't serve Jesus or you're in any way a hypocrite, I promise you, people will sit out there. We all do this. We cry and say we're going to miss them. And they're going, boy, they were a mess. And I want to tell you, don't expect preachers to get up and just read the facts. Because you don't do that. You don't get up and go, you know, he was a good man sometimes. Drank a lot too, secretly. Nobody knew that, but don't tell anybody. You don't do that kind of stuff. You let people's lives speak what those lives are. That's what, you, that's what happens. And you know who knows that the best? People that are around them, family, people that are around them that speak of them. Esther, we were talking about this the other day, your precious husband who passed away within this last year. All the people who worked with him. Now, he worked in a business where it's all about making money and about salesmen maybe being in a little competition with other salesmen selling vehicles. But that whole group came and said, this man was fair, honest, and his faith was real. He had Bible studies here among us, and he lived it out. Folks, that, Esther can't get a better funeral than that. I'm just telling you guys, that's what this is saying. This is basically John assessing three people. Gaius, you're spiritually growing, and it's evident. Demetrius, Everybody sees your faith. Everybody sees the love of God in you. Diotrephes, we see you too, buddy. The love of God is invisible in you, but whatever else we see is very visible. I think it's time sometimes for us to say, what impression do we give? What Christianity do people see in us? Wow. Listen, what do they see? Do you have a separate, do you have a different language at work than you do at church? Do, do you have a different vocabulary at work than you do at church? <laughs> do you have a different vocabulary around a different set of friends than you do at church? Are, are, the, are the character traits you show when you teach a Sunday school class different from the character traits you show when you're talking with business people? 
do you, are you as honest when you write the church check as you are when you write a check to the IRS? That determines whether we're authentic and true. And according to the word of God, love is visible. It's authentic. That's the challenge we have today. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask all of you if you'll stand together with me just for a moment. Today, the question is just, is my faith, is my love for God visible? God's love is always visible. I just, this is going to be one of those times where we just do some self-examination. Just some self-examination. I want to do this today. I sort of feel like this is what we need. Instead of there being my prayer team down here at the front I'm going to ask if you will allow God just for a moment if you will take a step from where you are and come to the altar take that step you're not showing me anything but you're showing God God this is important to me and come and spend a moment right here just saying God I want to see the truth about myself because deep in my heart hearts I want my faith to be visible I want my love for you to be visible. I just want this to be a time of self-reflection and not in the pews so we can go and everybody can hide it a little bit longer. Just come. If you need some self-examination, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to ask you to join me. Just for a few minutes.